You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 50 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Um, I'm pretty well today, thanks Valerie. I've taken ProcrastiPup for a nice long walk this morning, so I'm feeling ready to face the day. Can you believe we're 50? I feel 50 today. (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear to everyone, we... Alison and I aren't actually 50. <laughs> no, we are not 50. We are most definitely not 50. However, we are 50 episodes old. Yes, exactly. Who are you cheering and streamers yeah, and party um, noise? Woo! Uh, but did you ever think we would ever make it to 50? No. <laughs> Frankly, I'm kind of surprised how quickly 50 episodes is actually gone. I know. It's been... Um, I don't know. Who'd have thought we'd have so much to talk about, Val? Can you cast your mind back when this idea first came into play? What did you think at the time, that, uh, the idea of doing a podcast together? Um, I thought that we would probably have a good time talking about writing. I wasn't entirely sure how long. I think, didn't we discuss originally that we'd give it a crack for three months and see how yes. we felt? <laughs> Well, apparently we liked it because we're still here. <laughs> but I remember yes. that um, my first interview for the podcast was Graham Simpson. Yes. So, you know, started with a bang there, didn't we I? We did start off with a bang. <laughs> well done. Done. And I kind of, our listeners won't know this, well, until now because I'm about to say, but I kind of, um, kind of accidentally, well, not accidentally, I uh, convinced uh, Alison, sort of, to do the podcast initially by actually creating the cover art first. So the So You Want to Be a Writer cover art uh, that you see on iTunes was something I got designed first And I, because I secretly asked, I said, Al, have you got a photo? And she <laughs> said, send me a deep etchable photo. And I was thinking, oh, why? But, you know, you're often asking me for random things. So I sent it off and the next thing I got presented with the cover artwork. <laughs> How do you feel about this, Al? Oh. <laughs> Right. There I am. Anyway, I'm glad that we made it beyond the three-month mark. So, Well, you know, happy birthday to us. We have so much to talk about. (laughs) Exactly. You realise in two episodes' time we're going to have like our one-year anniversary. We probably should have a bit of a party or something. We'll we'll think of something. To mark the occasion. Yes, we'll think of something good for our listeners then. Hmm. Now, some listeners have been asking where to find the show notes. So I just want to remind you, if you do want to look up the show notes, it's at writerscentre.com.au slash podcasts. And for our US listeners, of which there are a growing number of you, uh, we spell centre in Australia, C-E-N-T-R-E. So just in case you're looking for that URL, uh, just type it uh, the British way or the Australian way and, and you'll find it. 
<laughs> I would never have thought of that. No, you know. But the other thing that's been happening this week, and that is, I don't know if you've been watching it on TV, Al, um, How to Get Away with Murder. Our US listeners are already probably up to episode 10 or something, uh, but we're only up to episode 2 in Australia. But have you been watching it? No, I haven't. Should I have been? It's pretty good. It's pretty compelling. Um, you know, it's it's just entertainment, basically, but it's very clever. And I think it's also reflecting this fascination that many of us have, that I'm discovering many people have, about crime and murder. And that's why crime and thriller writing is some of the, be- the best-selling genres, you know, out there in bookshops. Mm. Um, because, And apart from that, uh, the there's going to be a new television series, Chasing Malat, about the serial killer in Australia, Ivan Malat, which, again, goes to show this fascination for crime and murder and all of that because we're getting so many inquiries about our murder course. Oh. Well, it's called Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. And uh, it's, it, I mean, I, it's a fascinating course, but people are obviously very intrigued by it as well. And if anyone is interested, just go to murdercourse.com. Mm, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but let's see what's been happening in the world of writing and publishing and blogging this week. Uh, I came across an email. Well, I didn't come across it. landed in my inbox from Neil Strauss. Now, some listeners will know that Neil Strauss wrote the very popular book, The Game, which is a, sort of an inside look at the underworld of uh, pickup artists because there's, you know, a whole art to being picked up, it seems. So Neil Strauss has written many other books. He's an extremely good writer. Um, that, that's the book that he's most well known for. But he's got an upcoming book. And what was interesting about this email that I received from Neil Strauss, because I just happened to be on his newsletter list, is that he was talking about that there's this upcoming book coming up. Well, obviously, that was a bit of a tautology there. Mm. Um, and he wanted readers to give their opinion and their vote. Well, it was a vote, actually, on which cover he should use. So he was essentially testing the waters um, so that he knew that he was going to pick the cover that was going to resonate most with his tribe, so to speak. And I think that's fantastic because it's something that 10 years ago just couldn't have happened at all. No, like crowdsourcing your cover. Basically, yeah, at least just getting market research out there. We couldn't market research our covers in that way 10 years ago. But the wonderful thing is that you can these days and you can basically pick the winner uh, and make sure Did you respond? I I looked at all of the covers and Mm. I picked in my head the one that I thought was a no-brainer winner. Mm. Um, I haven't yet responded. It's sort of in my my, uh, inbox still uh, because I think I was doing it while I was lying in bed staring at my iPhone. (laughs) So just out of interest, I'm like I'm not looking at any of these covers so I don't know what any of them look like. But why did the one that you thought was a no-brainer stand out to you? Uh, Because it was – he, he's so famous for the book The Game mm-hmm. and he had – the interesting thing that he did uh, with these covers, it was not only the look of the cover, it was the actual name of the cover, the title of the book. Oh, right. And for me there was one very obvious um, title because he's famous for The Game and he's now married so he's no longer a pickup artist and right. it, I, I suspect his new book is about the new stage of his life and he's – uh, the cover that appealed to me, or really the book title that appealed to me, was Game Over. 
And I just felt for branding purposes, people associate the word game with him so much that using the word game would make the most sense because a Mm. lot of the other covers and book titles didn't necessarily have that, uh, you know, have the word in it. Have the link, yeah. Yes. And that's certainly – I didn't email um, people, but I used um, Facebook advertising when I was choosing the cover for my book. Did you? Um, Yeah, to – and I put out – I narrowed it down to three covers and I um, used Facebook advertising to make sure to, to flash up three covers for people who would be, you know, that I picked had inter- similar interests to what the book was about. And, um, yeah, there was a clear winner for that as well. Okay. So you had quite a lot of input into the design of that cover? Not the design, but in the final choice of which cover. So the publishers actually did all of the, the designs. Yep. I narrowed it down to the three that I felt, you know, I, I did sort of uh, straw polls, of course. Mm. I, I chucked out the ones that I hated because I, ne- that, I was never going to get behind those. Then yep. I did some straw polls on the remaining five to ten, narrowed it down to three, and there, it, it, three that, you know, I couldn't really make up my mind on and um, then let the people speak, so to speak. Oh, interesting. Mm. Um, interesting. Admittedly, had I been in charge of the design as well, uh, I would have probably got some more designs done. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, when you're down to the wire and you're finishing your book, you're editing your book, you're, you know, putting all the plans in place for launching it, there's so little time to – it was a very tight time frame. So we had to go with the designs that were there, you know, which I liked yeah, some yeah. of them. But I probably, if I had my time again, I would have gotten some more designs done um, or factored in more time to get more designs done so that I could have had more covers that I loved to, to do the experiment to with. from. Yeah, yeah. okay. Hmm. Interesting. So, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting approach and I think it's very clever of Neil to do that. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's the same way as Tim Ferriss. He used Google AdWords to come to the to the title of the Four Hour Workweek. Did he? Yes, he did. So that's and he, there was a clear winner. So that was the one that you know came through in the end. But on to something very very different. Yes, I was quite intrigued by this particular post that was on Gizmodo, and um, I love typography. Do you like typography? I do, but I'm not someone who is as obsessed with it as others. Like I I don't have the hatred for Comic Sans that so many people seem to have. Like I just really don't feel one way or the other about it. So (laughs) I think that makes me not a typeface geek. But anyway, continue. Okay. Well, I really love typography. And, you know, while some people love putting artwork on their walls, you know, scenes of beautiful landscapes or portraits Mm. or whatever, I love words Uh, and I love just – stuff to do with um, beautiful typefaces. So there's this post on Gizmodo about a gorgeous typeface that drove men mad and sparked a hundred year mystery. So Ooh. basically what happened was there was a couple of blokes who uh, founded Dove's Press back in a you know, hundred years ago, but they had a bit of a falling out. And um, in the 
settlement or in their agreement, uh, it was decided that their special typeface, which they had created themselves specifically for their press, uh, was going to go to one guy, one of the partners, for a certain period, after which it would revert to the other person. Not entirely sure how they came to this conclusion. And as it turned out, it was kind of a pretty dumb exercise because what the first guy did, he didn't want the second guy to ever have this typeface because it's not like now you just download it off the internet. It was actually type pieces um, back then. Created in metal. Exactly. And so over a period of time, this guy just would go to the Thames and just dump chunks of this typeface just so that the other bloke could never get it. Wow. However, one guy in modern-day terms (laughs) – uh, a guy in present day is in is so in love with this typeface and supposedly I suppose the romance of this story he um has paid he's personally funded navy divers to dive into the Thames to retrieve as much as possible from where they think the typeface was dumped. And um, they've managed to actually uh, retrieve quite a few of the bits and pieces of the typeface. And I just think it was a great little story of somebody who was that keen. I think it's, um, you know, I can see it as the basis of an historic novel yeah. It's got that vibe about it, doesn't it? It's got the intrigue and the feud and the beautiful typeface and lost forever and all that. I think it'd be awesome. Who wants to write that for me? Yes, exactly. Cause <laughs> <laughs> the typeface that drove men mad. I love it. I know. <laughs> not Comic Sans, in fact. That Definitely drives people not mad too. <laughs> Something a little bit more classic that is worth spending a crap load of money on. Oh, fair enough. So I came across another post this week. You've been very busy. I have been a bit busy this week. Um, I think it's because of my new iPhone 6. Oh. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What, larger screen allows you to be busier? Um, Well, the other one, the battery life was just so horrendous. My iPhone 5, it was dying within three hours, so I couldn't, Mm. it was barely functional. And then I you just replace the battery? I don't, can you do that? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Anyway, let's talk about your new. Let's talk about your new gizmo, shall we? <laughs> Sorry, I digress. So, this post that I came across was the most important skills you need to start a writing career. Oh, and what is interesting about it is the huge emphasis on networking and social media and speaking. And all of that kind of thing. So, in, and marketing skills and branding and search engine optimization. So, this post isn't even about, you know, understanding the skills for plot and characterization or transitions or anything like that. It's very much about having a thick skin and, make, and putting yourself out there as a writer and making sure you make connections. Okay. So, I think that's an interesting take on it. Well, I think it's cart before horse, personally, a little. Well, yes, yes. I think it's um, like I don't know that I would call those the most important skills you need to start a writing career. Like I, I, I do agree that networking is very important. Yes. Um, and I think that the thick skin, you know, as I've said before in blog posts, I wish it came in a jar so yeah. that you could just fast track your way to that. Um, but... Um, I, I do – it worries me a great deal when people don't 
actually give any consideration to craft when it comes to writing because mm. I do think that those things um, are important. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't see that. I don't think that calling social skills and networking the most important skills you need to start a writing career, I think that that's a massive um, mistake because I do think that if you focus only on those and have no substance to back them up, Yes. You need substance to back up your social. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. And I think that what's disappointing and these skills, days... Skills to back up your social. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think what's disappointing these days is when publishers make decisions just on the basis of, say, a blogger's following. And and that blogger... And there are some fantastic bloggers out there who write beautifully with large followings, and I'm not talking about those people mm-hmm. but um i think that you and i both know that there are some you know publishers who are signing deals with uh, some people who just don't have the craft right yet or or even come close to the point where the publisher is getting them a ghostwriter. yes, yes. but that's a, i mean that's a business decision like the most publishers um I think uh, like that they do bring in a ghostwriter. You know, they go, okay, the concept is great. Mm. The following is great. The skills are maybe not there to actually create the narrative for the book that we want. We will bring in a ghostwriter. Um, that's a business decision and that's been – people have been doing that for a long, long time. Yes. And it's not just with um, bloggers but, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, CEOs out there that, that uh, gasp, did not write their own book. Yes. Um, so I don't really so much have an issue with that. I think that um, that what people need to realise is that if that faced with two equally good concepts or two equally good proposals – uh, publisher is always going to choose the proposal where the writer has the larger um, profile simply yeah. for the fact that publishing is a business and they need to sell books. Um, so there is that. However, if you are want, if you are a blogger who does want to, um, is interested in that, you know, blog to book kind of thing, um, I think that you have to focus very much on writing the best blog you can but also having the best and freshest angle that you can come up with on your subject. And I think yes. that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, relying on your social media following is is no problem with that at all. But just mm-hmm. for your own self-pride, you know what I mean? Just for yeah. your own desire to be the best, I just encourage, you know, I, I encourage some people who haven't considered honing the craft to hone the craft. And honing the craft isn't writing a thousand blog posts it's also learning and studying from great books or great teachers and mm. practicing it using your blog posts as well mm. true anyway, we could anyway. talk about that for hours we could and we'd probably get quite ranty on that subject <laughs> yes, <laughs> we so, would what else have you got for me valerie oh just a cute thing i came across a um post called Miranda July and 15 other literary Instagrams you should follow. So basically it's a list of um, interesting accounts on Instagram. We mentioned last week hot dudes reading. Yeah. But there are a number of other ones that range from Elizabeth Gilbert to the Ernest Hemingway Foundation. But the one, of course, I've started to follow is the Cats Only Book Club. Oh, no, Valerie. No. (laughs) So it's basically somebody is doing an Instagram account, which is cats with 
being photographed next to, you know, some fabulous pieces of literature. (laughs) How can you possibly resist the No Cats Allowed book club, which is the next one down with that gorgeous puppy dog eyes? Yes, if you are so inclined, there's No Cats Allowed book club, which is the dog (laughs) book club. It's just so cute. Something to brighten up your day. But there's some great, if you're you're interested in Instagram, there are some terrific, um, some terrific, accounts to follow there I, I don't actually I, I tried Instagram but I'm I'm no good I don't go there just try it again uh, I just you know to be perfectly honest with you I feel like um between my blogs and my Facebook and my Twitter and my Google plus and my talking and my tutoring and my all those other things that I do I just feel like I've shared I'm there you know what I mean <laughs> I feel like I need to visually share my life as well um there's just part of me that feels like that's like a step too far for me. So I'm just not going to do it. I mean, and to be perfectly honest with you, because I am actually quite private about my life, I would end up with an Instagram feed full of pictures of Procrasty Pop. My that's okay. And, you, you should know, see my Instagram books. feed and oh, how many it? pictures of Rex there are. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just... Why do you do it? Like, why why do you think it works? What do you like so much? What do you like about it? Because Rex is the most beautiful cat in the well, world clearly. and the whole world should know about him. Apart from Rex, why? He's the main reason. <laughs> <laughs> and my oh. other babies, of course. <laughs> now, we get to, now we get to the heart of it. It's all about sharing your cat. <laughs> it's true. He's adorable. Anyway, I digress. You do. So our writing craft book this week is an, it's a it's interesting one. It's called How to Not Write Bad. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Speaking and, of craft. <laughs> yes. How to Not Write Bad. And the subtitle is The Most Common Writing Problems and the Best Ways to Avoid Them. And it's by Ben Yagoda. And one of the things that I love about uh, the advice in this book, so basically the book is full of, you know, really common mistakes that people uh, get wrong and um, it's it's ones that we've, many of us have heard before, but they're all compiled in, in, a, in one book. However, one of the things that I love about it is it opens with how to, how to not write bad, the one word version. <laughs> so you don't actually need to read the whole book. Oh, you don't have to read the whole book at all. There's only one word that you need to know. Oh, and Ben Yagoda says, yes, I knew you would ask. I need to know. <laughs> How to not write bad, the one word version. Read. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. It's so true. Because fa- sometimes I find it confounding when people say, I'm writing, you know, an article for the Sydney Morning Herald. Do I refer to, should I use refer to people as their last name or as their first name, you know, when they're writing their articles? Well, just read the damn thing and mm. find out. You'll see their house style straight away. So I think reading obviously is one of the most important things as a writer, but I am surprised uh, the number of writers or people who are aspiring writers who don't. What do you think? Do you come across this? I come across this. I do. I, I do. I come across the same number of, like, almost equal um, numbers of the of people who tell me that they don't have time to write also tell me that they don't have time to read. Yes. Um, which I find really interesting. And, and I, I understand that, um, particularly when you are writing, it's, you know, you're so focused on getting your project done and doing all that stuff that you don't, um, you, you find yourself, you know, stuck. But um, 
I, I mean, as a person who has been a voracious, a voracious reader my entire life, I find it extraordinary that people can't find time to read. I don't read as much when I'm writing. Like if I'm actually in fully immersed in a project, um, I'm, I tend not to read as much. And if I do read, I read something that's completely off genre yes. um, just so I don't confuse myself. But like at the moment, for example, I'm, I'm sort of working my way into a couple of new projects and doing a few different things um, and I'm back to reading maybe two books a week, you mm. know. Um, like at the moment I'm reading The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert um, and over the weekend I finished Lorinda by Alice Pung, which is the uh, Pink Fibro Book Club choice for uh. this month. Um, and we are actually got a Facebook chat with Alice next week on March the 3rd. So, you know, I needed to make sure that I was fully across. <laughs> the so book. if people would like to find you on, find the Pink Fibro on Facebook, where do they go? Uh, it's, yeah, good question. Um, it's Pink Fibro Book Club. Yeah, so um, just search for Pink Search Fibro. it up, yeah. And um, are you going to see Elizabeth Gilbert when she comes to Sydney in March? No, I'm not going to be doing that because I've got, I, I'm, because I'm heading off to the Somerset Literary Festival for three days oh. uh, in a row and my family is traumatised at the very thought of this, <laughs> which oh, means that really? I probably won't be allowed out much for the rest of the month. Oh, yes. You know, <gasps> the problem with being around all the time yes. is that the minute you go anywhere, everyone gets thrown into a complete frenzy. So, oh, um, yeah, so no, I won't be. But are you going to, to see her? I somehow missed the memo <laughs> that she was oh. going. So I am going to hope that it's not sold, sold out and attempt to get tickets today. Yes. But if it's sold out, I snoozed and I'd lose. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully someone who does go can tell us all about it. Yes. Um, but just going back to the reading thing, you do you read a lot? You you read a lot of um, more non-fiction books, don't you? I go through periods. I, I'll go through, a, you know, like a three-month period where I'm just reading so much. But then I'll go through – I'll not read for six weeks. And that's usually because I don't know why, but it's whatever's happening in my life at the time. And then I'll go back to a period where I'll just read a lot. And mm. then I just have this drought period as well. It's interesting. It's, but that's the way it's um, turned out for me, yeah. Mm, okay. Mm. Well, you are busy. Well, you know, but as you say, there's always time to read. But people say, um, you know, you can read on the plane. But um, I just I just don't really do that. I, uh, when I'm on the plane, that's when I watch all my movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. But an interesting discussion has been happening in the blogosphere lately. Unless you have been living under a rock, you um, may have noticed that there is a lot of promotion for something called B-School by a uh, business person in America called Marie Folio. And there are many Australian bloggers who are promoting it. And um, and basically, it's an eight-week program for people who are starting businesses and um, – it costs quite a lot, maybe $2,000 or something, um, <clears throat> but uh, there are a lot of affiliates and there are a lot of bloggers who are, you know, promoting it on behalf of Marie and they do get a commission from it. Mm. But there's been a lot of discussion and there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely normal and p- completely fine if, if they disclose it, which, you know, I, I think they do. Um, but there's been a lot of discussion happening in the blogosphere about people's wondering about the authenticity, I suppose, or of – not the authenticity, about how much to um, put in the fact that this person is recommending the course when they're, in fact, getting a huge commission from it. Mm. And I guess – 
Yeah, it's an interesting thing because it's completely legal and it's completely um, – it, it happens all the time. What's your take on it? Well, I think it comes down to the – I think it comes down to the blogger in question. Like I, I think that if you have built up over a, re- a long readership, a relationship with the blogger, um, if the affiliate links are disclosed, I have, you know, I have absolutely no issue whatsoever with it. Um, and it depends, as I said, very much on the blogger. Like, um, so Nikki from Styling You, I know, you know, she she uses affiliate links. I, she has got such a wide base of trust. Like she has. She has established herself as someone who feels, you know, you always feel like she's on your side. Yes. You always feel like she's trying to do the best thing by you. If she puts up a link to a pair of black pants and there's an affiliate link, you know that she's offering probably five different types and that there's probably one there that's good for you. Mm-hmm. She models herself in various things. I have absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. Like I, I have taken her recommendations for various things over time because I have a trust with her. Yes. I have, you know, she has established a trust with me by mm-hmm. giving me a lot of fantastic information over many years the same with joanna penn at the creative pen she's very very like she's it's a similar thing with her she uses affiliate links a lot um no issue with that whatsoever because so much of what she has given over the years has been so valuable Mm -hmm. that there's an there's a probably an understanding that she's i'm probably going to like what she's offering me as an affiliate um so i think it very much depends on the blogger like I, I have no interest in B-School, so the chances of me clicking on an affiliate link to do that are so small. I, you know, I have um, no real thoughts on that one way or the other. Mm. But um, I think that the, it, it always comes down to follow the link, take the recommendation, then read the stuff yourself and decide if it's right for you. That's, I mean, that's the way I approach most things in life. I never take anyone's word on anything mm. without having a look at the fine print myself. Absolutely. And I think that um, you're right. I, affiliates, I have no problem with them whatsoever if they're disclosed. Uh, and I think that it is follow the link and read the fine print yourself. But I would add one extra thing is that seek the opinion of somebody who isn't an affiliate. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just, just it can't be that hard. You know, just no. put it out there on social media who's done B-School or who's done whatever or who's tried what these pants. Yep. Yeah. And, and ask for somebody who's not an affiliate. Mm. And um, it's an interesting exercise because I once, uh, this was a while back, and um, I was considering buying a product and it was a significant amount of money. And I, being the journalist I am, I just couldn't help myself that um, I uh, contacted every single testimonial on this particular website. What? Yeah. Every single one? Yeah. There weren't no, that Valerie. many. There might have been 20. <laughs> oh, 20? Yeah. And what was interesting with that exercise um, because it was that I discovered that uh, not a single one of those testimonials used the product, but they were all affiliates. Oh. Mm. And the other interesting thing was... That was worth doing? Yes, it was worth doing. Not Also because uh, that particular product, I attended a webinar because I was interested in the product, so I attended their web information webinar, and they held up one of their customers as a great example of somebody who uses the product and, you know, it's this guy who does this, this and this. They showed the person's website and, you know, uh, it was a real person. So being the journalist I am, I couldn't help myself. I contacted that guy directly. Oh. He lives somewhere in the middle of America. Right. And 
couple of days later, he was kind enough to not only respond, but to respond with a two-page diatribe on how much he hated the product. What? Yeah. It was, Why was he on their website? He, he had tried it initially and oh. discovered it to be crap, but obviously he did try it and that was how they – he came onto their radar and they were using him, you know, holding his, uh, him up as the, an example of somebody who uses the product in a fantastic way. So it was certainly a fantastic exercise just to, tr- you know, ask those questions because it – Wow. Yeah, because the, the testimonials were raving. And from quite reputable people, or, or some, I didn't know all of them, I only recognised some of them. Um, but asking the extra questions is definitely worthwhile. Okay. Thanks for that advice, Valerie. So, anyway, who is our writer in residence this week? Well, speaking of asking extra questions, I was quite happy with this one. Um, so, I spoke to Peg Fitzpatrick, who's kind of like a social media expert from the US, mm. and she um, she came onto my radar a few years ago, and I did uh, an interview with her for my blog. Um, for my social media for writers series um, and we spoke about Pinterest because she she is a great advocate of Pinterest for writers. Um, and recently Peg has uh, put out a book with Guy Kawasaki. She's the co-author of a book called The Art of Social Media Power Tips for Power Users. Now, I get asked a lot, of the, a lot about social media for writers and how much they should be doing and where they should be putting their efforts and should I blog and should I Pinterest and should yeah. I Facebook and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to go to an expert for us and I'm going to ask all those questions and get some great tips and advice on where writers should be putting their time when it comes to social media. So here's Peg and I discussing that very subject. Peg Fitzpatrick is an author, speaker and social media marketing pro. She works as a social media strategist with Guy Kawasaki and is the director of digital marketing for Chrysler Inc, covering online brand management and traditional marketing. Her most recent book written with Guy Kawasaki is called The Art of Social Media, Power Tips for Power Users. So hi, Peg. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alison. I love your accent. Of course, do you have mostly Australian listeners? Well, we, we have a surprising um, array. We do have a lot of Australian listeners, but we have around 18 to 20% from the US. Um, and we have, so hi to everyone in the US, and we have a, um, a quite a large proportion from the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. So hi to them as well. <laughs> so we're oh, all over the, we're international. You're you are, you're global. You're a global. <laughs> we're a force for good. Um, <laughs> okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like you're fully immersed in the social media world. How, how did that come about? Um, basically, you know, I was working in a different job and I love, I was like playing around with Facebook. This is like six years ago. And I was out to dinner with my husband who manages, he runs, um, Chrysler Inc in the U S um, it's a German company, but he runs the U S subsidiary. And we were out to dinner with the, the bosses from Germany. And I was like explaining this awesome new platform. And it would be so cool to do marketing on it. Cause no, Brands weren't on Facebook yet. It was really just people and like fan pages, just kind of, they were fan pages then. So um, I thought it was like this great fun idea and it wouldn't be very expensive. So I was like throwing out all these ideas. And then like, you know, six months later, they were like, hey, we want to hire her to do all that stuff. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what did I say I could do? So I, I kind of just like 
everything that I do right now is things that I just came up with and said, you know, I could totally do that. And, uh, you know, this would be awesome to do. So I, I didn't know that this was a job. There was no job ever listed for anything that I do, but I pretty much have the best job in the world. So That's fantastic. So you've created yeah. your own job by being interested. All my, all my own job, my, my job with Guy, my, you know, all my stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty, I, I have to say it's kind of like an interesting thing. But I think it's great for entrepreneurs and authors because, you know, as a writer, no one's going to knock on your door and say, hi, Allison, would you like to write a book today? <laughs> um, they're just not going to do that. You have to do it yourself. So the, I like I, what I like about my story is it tells people you don't have to wait until someone says, you know, here's a little job, in, you know, that you might want to do. You just figure out what it is and do it. So you don't need to wait for permission. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Excellent. Absolutely. So do you find it kind of like you're very much, um, I guess, having started, you know, six years ago and, and working it all out as you go along you're very much on the frontier all the time aren't you of working out how best to use these things and what you know the best strategies and things like that is that is that exhausting or is that exciting I know you you're very well, energetic you're I can feel it through I mean your personality comes through in all the stuff that you do um but you know is it do you wake up each day and think wow what algorithm are they going to throw at me today or is <laughs> do you not approach it like that well, that I know I'm expecting those changes sometimes. I mean, it's, I love it. It is fun, but it is also sometimes I just wish I could, um, find something that I could learn from more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, because I'm usually testing out, I find things like, I don't know what it is, something about my personality. Like when I am on a social platform, I can immediately find something new and I'm like, what? And then I start testing it. I almost always see new things before other people. And it's just because I'm really hyper aware. I'm on them all the time. I'm checking to make sure all the stuff is right. So when something is new, I'm like, ah, so sometimes I'd like to, you know, it would be great if I could research and say, how do you do this? But, um, <laughs> Instead, I figure it out and then I write about it later. So it's a bonus, you know. I mean, it is a bonus to be a trendsetter, you know. And and do you spend, like, how long do you spend online every day? This is something else uh, that blows my mind a little bit. Yeah, I, I really, I don't a actually even know, Allison, because it is my job. It's yeah. not... It's not like I'm a writer who does social media just to support my books. I'm actively managing yep. other people's social media and my own. So I'm online all the time. I do have big chunks when I just will turn stuff off because you can't write and you can't do creative things and have um, stuff running. And I don't have any notifications on. Okay, uh, not at all. No, I don't. I don't have anything on my phone that pings or anything no. because you know you you just can't. It's it, too distracting. It would be constantly pinging at you, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would sound very popular. <laughs> so Maybe not true, but so over the time, have you has is there a clear favorite platform for you? Has anything emerged as something that you like more than the others? You know, it's really hard to pick a favorite. I really love Pinterest. I love Pinterest so much. And I started out doing stuff for authors on there before anybody else was even doing it. I was like, I wonder if you could sell books on Pinterest. Um, and I started Guy Stuff on there like two and a half years ago, I think, for eight for author, publisher, entrepreneur. I started doing things and I'm still getting repins on that stuff. Wow. So it's so awesome for writers to you, the thing I like about Pinterest is you can spend the least amount of time there and get the most bang for your buck which I think for writers is especially important because you do have a lot of other things being a writer is hard like writing the book is hard 
But all the other parts of it are so time consuming, like email and talking to people about different parts of your books and doing interviews and doing your social media and answering your email. There's so many different parts that you don't realize you're going to be part of what you do. Um, So I like Pinterest because it takes less time. Okay. So how do you suggest that authors use Pinterest? Like how can they get the most bang for their buck with it? So one thing that's great with Pinterest now is they have promoted pins. So if you're a blogger and a writer, you can get a business account and see your analytics. And you can create a board for your books or create a board that's about your characters, about your locations, or about you as a writer so people can get to know who you are. People love to get to know the person behind the books. Um, I'm fascinated with, like, meeting writers online and, like, following what they do. Elizabeth Gilbert is amazing on Facebook. Totally love she posts. And so... That's one of the things that I've always loved about social media is that you can connect with writers. So as a writer, it's a great way to like show people what you like, who you are, what, you know, I write about business stuff. So, I mean, most of my boards are about social media, but I have a lot of other boards on just things that I truly like with travel or cupcakes or, you know, (laughs) it's, it's a place for people to get to know who you are. And then in that, you know, present your book. So you could do quotes from your books or you could do boards with all your reviews. We did a board that's like all the great reviews that people wrote for the art of social media. And then, and then on our website, we have a Pinterest board embedded so you can like see them all in there, which is a great way to say thank you to people who took the time to read your book and then write a review. That's a great idea. Yeah. I, I haven't actually seen that done before. So that's, yeah, that's a great tip. Speaking of great tips, let's talk about your book, which I am halfway through reading and very much enjoying. Um, What made you decide to write the book, The Art of Social Media? And I have to say, I really like the fact that you look at it as an art and not a science because it is actually Mm -hmm. often approached as a science. But to me, the conversational engagement side of things is more creative than that. So what made you decide to write it? Well, it's interesting because the working title was the art and science. Oh, there you go. Because you could have both parts, but Guy and I are not big analytics people and we don't like chart everything and then decide how many times to tweet. We're we're more like the art of the moment. So that's why we we cut the science out. Um, And we decided to write it. um, Well, I I was my idea. I, I I wanted to write it and I... Um, because a lot of people ask me what I do, how, you know, how do I do what I do, especially writers, because I worked on the book launch for Ape, um, and I saw in the Ape community on Google Plus, there's still a lot of people that had a lot of questions. So even though a third of the book was like how to do what comes after you write the book, people still needed more, like writers needed more. And so I, I said to the guy, you know, let's write a book and kind of like explain what we do and how we do things. And he was like, that's a great idea. And so we were working on it. And then he was like, you know what? I don't want to write a social media book. And I was like, fine. I am totally married to this idea and I continue to write it. So I broke it up into chapters and I like did an outline and I did chapters on my blog and then, you know, put them in and I kept working on it. And then when it was like, you know, I had, 
had a ton. I was like, okay, well, now I've gotten really far in this book. So I know you didn't want to work on it with me. Maybe you could just read it and see how it is, which I have to tell you, like, as a writer, scariest thing ever, send your yeah. book to Guy Kawasaki. Oh, I can imagine. Because <laughs> <laughs> number one, he's an amazing writer. And number two, if it sucks, he will tell you, okay. which is good, which is good, right? That's what you want. But it's also, like, scary. So I sent it. And then he was like, this is really, really good. I love this. Okay, let's work on it. So I was like, yay. So then he was back on board. And then we just kind of like went through it all. Like, um, you know, we moved the order of stuff around, put different things in. So it was a really fun process and it was, you know, great to work on. And we were going to self-publish it. And then um, the, uh, the publisher picked it up. So that was awesome. Um, so it's obviously the, going well because I'm seeing it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, the, the main reason was to help other people learn how to do what I do. Right. Because it is complicated and everybody doesn't have as much time as I do to figure all the pieces out. Yeah. So especially the, the end of it, you didn't get to it yet, but there's a end okay. part. It's like putting it all together. Well, I like how, um, I have to say, I really like how practical it is. Like I, I'm going through each, you, you, you know, you go through the platforms, there's links all through the ebook, to, you know, to explain exactly, you know, to, to further explain things. And I, I think that it's a great, it's not, it's not just, oh, you should do this because I did this. It's a very practical approach, which I think is fantastic. And I think people will get a lot out of. Well, we tried to, you know, everything in there is, you know, there are some things that people might know, like how to set up your profile. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that you see every day that get it totally wrong. Yeah. You know, that don't have good pictures and they haven't filled stuff out and they have the default header. And, you know, writers get so, so tied into their other creative modes. Sometimes when they're on social media, they, I just see so many people just tweeting stuff about their books all the time. Like writers can be the worst. They're just like, they can be the best. I personally feel like writers can have the absolute best social media because they are creative and they work with words. So, you know, a tweet is not a challenge for a writer with a huge vocabulary, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, um, but that's the thing. And then, in, but in practice, a lot of times you just see people just tweeting their books over and over again. It's like, no, you need to share other, other things too. <laughs> okay. So, so do you think that's, would you say that that's probably the number one mistake that writers and authors make is just to I mean, and I kind of understand it, you know, to a sense, because I had a book come out um, last October and it's all you're thinking about at the time is the fact that it's out there and and you you just have this overwhelming urge to just, you want to tell the whole world and you have to tell them over and over. And if you don't tell them over and over, no one's going to hear, but you have to, I mean, as someone who's been tweeting for quite a long time, you know, you understand that that is so boring and people yeah. are just going to turn away because you've, I've seen it with other writers, but yeah. is that the number one mistake that writers and authors make I, is just to tweet constantly? Yeah. I think it is. That's what I see that they do a lot. Um, and I, and you'd be surprised at how many people don't do really good Amazon profiles okay. or good re- or Goodreads profiles are so important and it's so time consuming to set them up, but oh my gosh, you get so much value from it. Okay. People do click around and look at everything. I get web traffic from my Amazon profile. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Who would have thought? Do you, do you get Who? any from yours? I don't, I don't know if I've ever even looked. <laughs> I'm really not good at analytics at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the only thing I look at is like where the web referrals come and I had them from Amazon from my bio. So. Wow. Okay. That's that's how I got it. But it's just, it's good to know that, you know, people, you, you want people to click your name and see more about you. Make sure you have something there. Yeah. But 
straight up on social media, I think that is the number one thing that I see that writers do is just only talk about themselves and their books. Okay. I mean, it's just too, it's too much. And it's usually new people that haven't really figured out Twitter yet. And yeah. they're, they're not looking around either to see what other people do. Okay. So what, what should they be doing instead? Like what is the best okay. way to use social media for writers and authors to connect with readers? Okay, so you definitely do want to share your book stuff every once in a while, but you have to mix in other things. So sometimes you can be tweeting people back who tweet about your book. Depend, it's different because there's fiction and nonfiction writers. So depending yeah. on where you fall, you know, you can find, you can tweet stuff about other books that are in your genre. You can talk about your genre. There's, um, I love Friday Reads. Do you ever do that hashtag? No, I've hashtag never. I Oh my gosh, it's so good for writers on okay. Fridays. Um, all day long on Twitter, people tweet their favorite books. Books to read. Don't tweet your own book because that wouldn't be cool. Nice. But tweet tweet another book that you're reading that you liked. And it's just like people giving shout outs for people's books. Oh, so great. That's a great place where authors could check that hashtag out on Friday. And you could follow people in that hashtag that obviously like to read and are recommending books. So it would be a great way to connect with new people. Mm, that's terrific. And then see what they're doing, talk to them. I like to do those kind of things, like find, because you want to follow people who are going to be interested in what you do. So that's one way that I do it. And then I make little Twitter lists if I'm, you know, actively looking for things to tweet. I like to make a Twitter list of like 10 people that will have awesome stuff for me to, to retweet or to talk to them. Yeah. So I keep my little list open in TweetDeck. And then those 10 people, I can either retweet their things, talk to them, or, you know, yeah. share something. But, you know, that's how I keep... Um, it's hard at first if you're not getting a lot of mentions and no one's really interacting with you to figure out how to connect. That's one of the hard things with Twitter. But when you create a Twitter list of relevant people, and it really can be very small. If you interact with 10 accounts on a regular basis, you'd be surprised at how much good interaction you could get. And that's like people, not like celebrities and like time magazine i'm talking people that people that will be well that's a, that's the thing that i think everybody does that when you're new you follow yeah. people with like 10 million followers and then you realize later oh they're never going to tweet with they're me they're never okay. going to talk back <laughs> right okay got it then you have to like move on to the plan b connect with real people <laughs> <laughs> i like plan b um do you think that that some platforms are better for writers and authors than others to concentrate uh, on like if you were starting out if you were kind of setting up yourself with a I know sort of an author platform or a profile yeah. like where if you're going to choose say two to focus on to start with which two would you choose so hard mm. I, I I wish I could always just narrow this down I have to say Facebook for me has come into a big resurgence when you have a Facebook page they're giving a lot more tools mm. you know with with promoting posts and sponsoring posts and they are so inexpensive they're not I was afraid to try any promotions for any platforms because I thought it was going to be like hundreds or thousands of dollars. Mm. And it's really like $5. Mm. You can you could do like $5 over three days. So it's like $1.67 a day. Yeah. And if you if you have a book promotion, if you have a 99-cent special, you know, you could throw, you know, say $50, which would be a pretty big budget for somebody who's not making money on their book yet, let's just say, because it's hard to make money on your books at first. So you put $50 on there. So your one day sale goes really well. And then that carries over your book climbs up in the rankings on Amazon. And then it, you know, it then the next day the price goes up, but it still has a higher ranking. So more people see it. So yeah. it all pays off. 
Um, if you just have to look at it as like a little investment, but I, you know, I think Facebook is a great place to get it, to do a page and build it up because you can, because there's so many targeting things that you can use, um, to, to get your ideal audience. And I've actually been playing around with some Twitter ads and those have been doing pretty well too. Okay. So, um, gosh, I think I might say Facebook and Twitter, but, and I, but I do love Pinterest too, just cause like I said, it's like a, it's like a sleeper network. Yeah. You can just go there every once in a while. There's not the pressure like there is for Twitter or Facebook. Like, did I post something? Yeah. Didn't I post something? If you're writing for a week and forget to go to Pinterest, like it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The world um, does not stop. <laughs> I think that like writers and authors that I've spoken to about, um, you know, uh, social media always say to me that, you know, it just seems like such an enormous amount of time to put in and you don't actually sell books necessarily through it. Like there's, they, they, they can't necessarily see a direct relationship between the time you put in and actual sales. Um, so it's not really an equation for that. But do you think that they need to be looking at it in a different way? Well, here's the thing, uh, you know, even if you're traditionally published, publishers these days are looking to see if you have a big social platform. Mm. So it can affect your book deal. Yeah. It can affect how much your book deal is. You can make more money if you have a social profile yeah. because they're looking at that for people to see, you know, like Guy and I wrote a book about social media. If we did not have a social media following, we would not have gotten a, a, a fantastic advance. Yeah. Okay. Because they're, it's related. So in the same way that like movie stars and TV stars now are starting to make more money because they have social media followings to tweet the shows and things like that. Yeah. I don't know if that's happening in Australia yet, but that's starting to happen here a little okay. bit. And, and that's what's happening. Like traditional publishers are looking to see if you have a social media platform to share your book with. Yeah. If you're going to self-publish, you, the only thing you have is your social media platform. Yeah. So either way, you really need to build it. Can you always see a direct correlation between, it's not like, you know, you're going to see books on the shelf and then the book's coming off the shelf when you're tweeting. It, it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. But, you know, people could see your tweets. They could decide later to buy your book. They could go to your website. They could share a blog post that you wrote. And that blog post could have an ad in the sidebar for your book and somebody that they tweeted to could click on the link and buy it. They're not always direct sales, but it's social media is the only way that you can get your name out there as a self-publishing author unless you were paying really big bucks for some kind of advertising. Yeah. But the, in today's world, people really want to connect with people. Mm. So if you're not on Twitter or somewhere on Facebook, you know, Facebook or somewhere, I think people are confused by it at this point. You know, okay. like, why can't they connect with you? I, I have people email me and tweet me, like, questions from the book. Like, if I wasn't responding, they would be like, wow, you know. It's not that people expect, <laughs> yeah, it's not that you have to respond to every single thing because you get to a point when you can't, hopefully, you get so busy, you know, doing awesome stuff that you can't respond to every single thing, but you try to. Um, so it's not... Social media for everyone, whether it's a big brand, a small business, or a writer, there's not always a direct, immediate result. But there is buzz that builds. Like you, like you said, you see our book everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. that makes you think that you want to buy it. And, it. and you see it everywhere because we've built a lot of social media, you know, conversation around our book. Okay. So 
with the um, if I'm starting out and I haven't even written a like I, I, I'm I'm an emerging writer I don't even have a book mm-hmm. as yet but I'm working on something mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. should I focus orig- initially on a on a website and maybe a blog and start to build my profile that way or you know is there is that where you start do you get your website and a blog right first I think, you know, I, I'm a big fan of having your home base, you know, with, because that's where, that's the one thing that you really own on the internet, you know, Twitter could close or Facebook could, you know, any of those things can come and go, but you do own your real estate on your blog. So I do feel that's really important. It is hard when you're writing to, um, to maintain blogging too, but I think it has a huge value. Um, and then that gives you a platform later to have, you know, your books listed and if you're yes. going to be a speaker or, you know, all those kind of things. So it's a great place to start yeah. and, and it's a great place. Also, it makes you a better writer. Yeah. Blogging and writing are different, but they're rela- so related that I think they, they work together too. Don't you? Yeah. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm a great advocate for blogging. I think it very much has helped with my fiction voice as well, because there's such an intimacy to the kind of like to um, I, I keep a sort of parenting slash writing slash life sort of blog, and I find when I'm writing those kind of posts that they you, you can't broadcast at people like you do when you write for magazines and newspapers. You have to actually leave space in the posts for them to come back to you, and I, I found that to be very very helpful in developing the writing muscle mm-hmm. myself. Yeah, and it's great to just connect with people. There's a mm. lot of writers that have great blogs. I always use Hugh Howie as an example. Yeah, but he's definitely. just so good. Yeah. You know, he's got his little sidebar listed with like how much he's writing on each book and people are dying for his next book. They're like, "Right, go write more." You know, <laughs> I mean, is that the dream or what? That you have people that are dying for your next book and he keeps them interested with this little sidebar. It's like, he has the title. I don't know how he writes on multiple books at the same time, but he does. No. Um, but but yeah, I mean, he it, he keeps, you know, he doesn't always blog a lot, but he'll, sometimes he'll write a big, long post. Sometimes it'll be something short, but he's connecting with people who are interested in what he does. He shares fan things a lot. Like he'll show like artwork that people are inspired to create from his books. Thing, you know, use yeah. the user generated content. So that's really cool. That's just a great way to connect with people, social listening. Like if they're talking about you, I find stuff all the time. Um, that people didn't tag me or use the hashtag art of social and I'll find things where they like shared the book or they're talking about it or so it's it's pretty cool to connect. I think it's, we're a neat age right now where you can like connect with an author who would have ever thought, you know, when when you were growing up and reading books in the library that one day Judy Bloom would have a Facebook page. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? I know. You could be like, hi, Judy Bloom. You Loved know? your book. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being part of my pre-teen years. Oh, that's great. Um, okay. Well, just to finish up, let's distill ourselves down here because we do like a, a, a little bit of an ending distillation. Have you got top three tips for social media um, for writers and authors? Give mm, us your top, top three, Peg. Come on. Top three tips. Okay. I will say... Um, Create beautiful pins on Pinterest that link to your Amazon book books that oh. link directly to Amazon so people can click and buy right from there. Um, and because I think a lot of times people miss that kind of direct sales. Like they get like, I can't promote myself. It's not really, you know, you're not like doing a big sales pitch. You can just make something great from your book, make a great graphic, link it back to 
um, Amazon. I would, if you are on Instagram, it actually is a great place for business and connect with people using hashtags. So find hashtags that fit with your genre and connect with people on Instagram and Twitter with those hashtags. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not really super social savvy, you can go to Fiverr and spend $5 (laughs) and have somebody do hashtag research for your genre and they'll give you a big, huge list and it's $5. $5 is pretty affordable for hashtag research. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I think. I'd never even considered that. So that's that's a great tip. I figured if I asked somebody else, they might find different ones than I would have looked at or found. Yeah, yeah. And I I did get a big, huge list, so it was a good $5. (laughs) (laughs) $5 well spent. I'm willing willing to try things for $5. I I do almost everything for free. Like, all my stuff is, like, all the stuff that I do is free. So I'm like, I will experiment for $5. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, Peg, well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of exciting tips and things. I've certainly picked up two or three things to take away myself. So, um. We really appreciate your time. Best of luck with the art of social media. I hope it um, sells about 80 billion copies and um, <laughs> at least. And we will all look forward to seeing you online. And I will share Peg's uh, Facebook, Twitter, etc. cetera, um, links in the show notes so that you too can learn from her. Um, all right. Well, terrific. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. And good luck writing, everybody. <laughs> that was awesome, Al. Yeah, look, it was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. And the thing I love about Peg so much is how generous she is. Like she's like most of the best people on social media um, in that she shares so much of her own knowledge um, and gives so many great tips. And I think the key takeaway from that particular uh, interview for me was um, I think a lot of authors overlook the value of Pinterest simply because it's a visual medium and you sort of forget about it. But that slow burner aspect of it, the fact that that uh, something that you pin can w- be working for you behind the scenes for a very, very long time yes. is something that I think is worth thinking about. Because if you're going to put the time into social media and you're going to put the time into blogging, then you want to try and get the biggest bang for your buck that you can. You, you know, you want that investment to be paying off for a long time. Yeah. Um, so it's worth looking at ways that you can make the content work you know as long and as hard as possible for you yeah absolutely because with twitter it just kind of goes out there and if it's not picked up people just are going to are only going to see it for that day that's right it's if you get great immediate gratification out of twitter because you get that sort of instant feedback and instant you know um uh, retweets and things like that for a day, maybe. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, um, you know, unless you're constantly, you know, tweeting your stuff, it's it you just you don't get that ongoing momentum from it. And I think that that's what you know something like Pinterest can give you. So it's worth taking the extra, you know, ten minutes to use Canva or PicMonkey or something to make a shareable image for your post. Fantastic. So good on Peg. Go Peg. Go Peg. Okay. She's so perky as well. I love how enthusiastic <laughs> she is. It's great. Love perk. Yeah. Um, so our web pick for this week is storywars.net. Oh. And it's kind of cute and it's, you know, I don't think it's necessarily going to make you become a literary genius or anything like that. But to me, it's the sort of thing that if you're having a little break from your real writing in a sense, it's 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 fun. Mm-hmm. So basically what it is, is that you write stories together as in you 
with total strangers or you can do it with your friends, of course, if your friends are on it, but you can just write a chapter and then go take over someone and somebody else writes another chapter. And then when they're done, somebody else writes another chapter. It doesn't, and chapters don't have to be, you know, 2000 words or anything. They can be just several paragraphs, but it's just a little bit of fun to see how a literally a crowdsourced story can, um, can turn out. Um, yeah. I think it sounds like fun, and I think you know it's something. Um, it's like a, a writing exercise, but it's it's a bit more involved. So if you're struggling with writer's block or anything like that, I often find that the best thing to do if you're really stuck on your own work is to do something else. So something like this, where you can you know put a thousand or two thousand words into a chapter and pop it up. If somebody else has already started it for you, all you've got to do is keep going. You know, so yeah. I think that that might be worth it for a writing exercise. Particularly, as you say, with writer's block, because sometimes you're waiting for inspiration to hit. Mm. Just let somebody other, somebody else's yeah. inspiration, exactly. You know, let flow, let you flow on. Kind Just of follow thing. their muse for a little while, and yeah. hopefully, yours will catch up. Exactly. Mm. So, what's happening with you this week before we wrap up? Ah, oh, let's see. What what am I doing? Well, um, I'm pretty excited because I've been uh, the Mapmaker Chronicles website has been revamped. We did a little bit, um, and I know I've talked about this before, but there is a service called Peak User Testing, yes. uh, which is a free service where you know random people will visit your website and you get a little video, a little five minute video of what their experience was like when you got there, mm-hmm. when they got there. So we we sort of like we had done a revamp of the Mapmaker Chronicles site because book two is coming out. Yes. And it's now available for pre-order. And so we did a revamp and the colour changed and everything looked great. And then I had a couple of people visit the website to get their feedback. And they were like, oh, this looks really great, but when's the book available? Oh. We had actually failed to put on the on the homepage when book two was, was no. actually coming out, which is the 31st of March. So it's really worth... Um, if you've got a website and you sort of, you know, it needs a tweak, get, get someone to have a look at it for you, some random anonymous person, because that's essentially what the experience is for people who stumble across your start, across your site online. Yes. Um, people who aren't necessarily aware of who you are, what your brand is, whatever, will go and go, oh, this looks really good, but when's the book available? <laughs> wow, yes. I, I have know. a question about that. Yes. Do, if people get book two first Mm. can they read it standalone without having read book one uh yes you could read book two standalone like there's enough um this is the thing that you find when you're writing a series um the backstory becomes very problematic for you (laughs) because Mm. you've got fifty thousand words of backstory and you need to decide how much of it is required in book two to make the book readable if someone does pick it up as the first book um, without boring the crap out of anyone who's actually read book one. So um, that was a very interesting, uh, that was a big learning curve for me, having never written a series before. So yes, you could read book two, um, you could pick it up, you'd have, you you would know what was going on, you would know who Quinn was, you would know that he was in a race to map the world, you know, you'd know as much as you needed to know pretty much to keep, to to read on. Um, Obviously, you're going to have a better experience if you've read book one first. Yes. So when you did release book one, which was towards the end of last year, right? Yeah, October. October. You were really busy. You were, um, you know, um, promoting it. You were doing Mm. book talks and stuff Mm. like that. Is it going to be a similar thing for book two? Well, I have um, quite a bit of promotion to do 
but I'm sort of promoting both books. So uh, I'm going to the Somerset Literary Festival in March. Um, I've got a couple of other festivals coming up, which I'm going to announce, you know, as time goes on. Um, I've I've got some schools visits to go to. Yes, so I I will be doing all those things. It won't be on probably the same scale as it was with book one um, for me, which I think is not a bad thing because pretty much my whole life ground to a halt there for about four weeks. Yes, it did. Um, But... The thing that I was extremely happy about when I, when book one came out was that I had written all three books. I think had I been trying to write book three whilst promoting book one, um, I think I would have got myself into a bit of a mess. So I was really, really happy because the, the manuscript for book three actually wasn't due until the 1st of January, um, but I had written it by the 1st of October because I knew that I knew I was going to be busy and I didn't want to get confused. And also I had this feeling of myself of, okay, I'm going to go out there and be promoting book one. I I need to know how the story ends before. It yes. <laughs> I mean, I knew what was, I, knew, I, I had a vague idea, but I, you know, you, I needed, I needed the complete story before I went. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it was quite an interesting experience with book two coming out. It's, um, it is busy. I'm, I'm, I'm already answering questionnaires. I'm already, you know, lining up interviews and things like that um, for, you know, and we're, what, five weeks out still. Uh, so it is going to be busy but not as busy, I think, as book one, Can I hope. F- you'll, you'll be an old hand at this. Well, I, you know, I, yes, I will. I mean, you know, I've done about 14 or 15 school talks now, mm-hmm. whereas before book one came out I'd done one. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a lot more practiced, but I, I don't I don't think you ever lose that feeling in your stomach of oh, I hope this goes all right. I know, I really. know. Yeah, yes. I mean, you would know. You stand up and talk to people for hours. Yes, <laughs> mm. but um, yeah, you never really quite lose that feeling in your stomach. It subsides though; it becomes less and less as time goes on. Great, um, but one no of the things excellent. Sorry, what was that? I said great. Then I won't have an ulcer. Excellent. <laughs> no, no ulcer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, one of the things that uh, we launched this week was our copywriting course and Ooh. we've got a new date for it in March as well because it was so popular and oversubscribed that we had to hurriedly add a new date. Mm. I'm actually really surprised at the level. I knew people would be interested in copywriting, but I am really surprised at the level of interest. There are people enrolling from literally all over the world. Wow. Yeah. So um, anyway, if anyone's interested, it's you can go to copywritingessentialscourse.com but if you would like to ask us a question that you would like us to answer on the podcast then email us podcast at writerscenter.com.au we'd love to hear from you and if you have a chance just to take 30 seconds to leave us a uh, ranking uh, and a um, sorry not a ranking a rating and a review on iTunes that would be so useful to us because that helps us with our rankings and um, helps keep us up there on iTunes iTunes. We really appreciate everyone, every single one of you who has done thank that. You. Because, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We means more to us than than you can know. So um, if you have a chance to do that, that'd be awesome as well. And um, don't forget, if you would like to subscribe to the Australian Writers New. I'm going really well here. I obviously haven't had my coffee. You're on fire. Don't even know the name of um, the centre. Um, the Australian Writers' Centre newsletter, just go to writerscentre.com.au slash news. There we go. Right. Well, I think we've run out of words for I our 50th episode. Yes. Imagine how many words we're going to have when we're one year old. 
Mm, that's only two more episodes time. I know. Mm. Keep, stay tuned, everyone. Stay um, tuned. So until next week, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Bye.